We're glad you're here in person or online. Now, I got to tell you something, okay? This is my confession of little faith, okay? Can I, can, can, I confess, can, can I have a confessional moment of little faith here? Last hour in our early service, we had a really great turnout for our early service. I mean, our early service was something we used to do for our kids' ministry workers who had to work with kids next hour so they could have a service. There was just a handful of us here. And sometimes it feels, some weeks it feels like that, you know, just that it's that extra service. And this is the, becomes the main one. And uh, we had, like, everyone, everyone showed up early. You know, we had kids everywhere. We had people. We had, you know, all of our, our whole deacon board was here early. Their families, people out of, out of town were here. I was like, oh, my goodness. And I thought to myself, this is a great first service. But I thought to myself, this is the, this is the pessimist in me. I can't even enjoy the first service being, being so good, well attended because I kept thinking no one's going to be here next hour at all. That's my, that's my pessimist. And then I came in, there's actually people here still this hour too. So that's good. If you're online, you don't know the difference because you only see the front. So welcome online. But anyhow, thank you for being here today. Whether you came early or whether you're online or whether you're here for our second service, thank you for being here today. We're gl- always glad to see you and are honored that you came. And if you are visiting, as Debbie said earlier, please fill out a connection card. Let us be able to just reach out and thank you and follow up with you. We want to give you a gift on your way out. Okay, a couple things. Uh, every year, every year we do something special. So, you know, there's a joke in my office, there's a joke with my team where I say, I use the word unique. This is a unique service or unique Sunday. And the reason that's a joke is because we, every Sunday ends up being unique in a different way. Okay, so they're all unique. But um, we're not in the middle of a sermon series. This is not a regular service in that sense. This is a special Sunday for us because every single year we have a campaign that we do where we ask our church to collectively be generous together for some outside causes that we want to support and give to. And we do it every fall. Sometimes it's as early as October. Sometimes it's as late as early December but it's usually around November. It's usually around this time. We do this whole campaign for collective generosity for outside of our walls for other people, and we call it our Be Rich campaign. Be Rich. And we something we've done every year for the last many years. If you've been with us for a number of years, you've seen us do this, and it comes like clockwork. And if this is your first year, this is what we do. We try to find a way. And we, last year we blessed some organizations, and we can go back for the last few and tell you all the things we've been able to do through our giving and our, and our serving others besides ourselves. And this year, Be Rich uh, is um, upon us, and I want to share with you some ways that we can give to some good causes that are local as well as abroad. But I want to explain to you where this comes from in case you've not heard. Uh, Our initiative, Be Rich, comes from a passage of Scripture that Paul was writing to the church, uh, to actually writing to young Timothy. Timothy was a leader of the church movement in the city of Ephesus. And Paul was writing to Timothy about how to, you know, present and lead the church and the gospel there. And in doing so, he makes a statement in the last section of his first letter to Timothy. And I want you to see it with me again because it's, um, it's uh, so good. First Timothy 6.17, Paul says, see, teach, those, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Now, I'm going to stop there before we finish the verse and talk about that first part for a little bit here. He says, teach those who are rich in this world. What does he mean by rich in this world? Well, I think there's two big ideas 
to the phrase rich in this world. The first idea is the idea of being rich in this life, but not in the next. There's a lot of talk in Scripture that we can turn there all day long to all the verses where Jesus says, lay up treasure in heaven. You know, where he says, be rich towards God. That teaching is throughout the scripture. But there are people who are thinking in, in, in eternal terms or just thinking about now. What do I have now? What do I have? It might not last forever. It might not last very long at all. And if, and if it does last, I can't take it with me, but I am rich in this world. So there's a difference between rich, rich in this world and rich towards God. You can be both or you can be one and not the other. And so Paul is writing to Timothy for those who are rich in this world. Now, to the audience he's writing to, Timothy is in the city of Ephesus. And Ephesus is a port city, which means there's a lot of commerce there. So you have your typical poverty in the city, poor people, and you also have your rich people who benefit from the industry. So there's a a mixture of people that they're ministering to, a mixture of people who become believers. Some are rich and some are not. And Paul's saying, tell those who are rich in this world to do this. Now, I want to say that it's easy for us to think that when he says rich in this world, that he must be talking to someone else, not to us. We are very good sometimes as, a, as projecting that the um, things in the Bible that we read are for us when convenient. For example, when God says he blesses the good people, oh, that's a promise for me, his blessings. When he's going to correct you know, and deal with the wrongdoers, oh, that's the people I don't like, you know. And uh, when it talks about about blessing, when it talks about being rich, we always think, oh, that's someone who's richer than me. Rich in this world means richer than I am. And so I want to remind us all, because I don't think we think about this very often, we are rich. And you say, well, what do you mean? I mean, if you live in the United States of America and you're here at this church today, any place, we're well off. The problem is we don't see the majority of the world. We might see an occasional commercial. Does anyone watch commercials anymore any, nowadays with streaming? I don't know. But you might see the occasional ad or, or commercial that, that reminds you that there's poverty. In our country, there's poverty, more than we experience, but we don't, we don't see it up front. But a, across the globe, it's far worse than many places. I've traveled. Some of you have traveled. You know. I can tell you about the times I've stood there and walked through the streams of houses in, in, um, in, in missions trips uh, in the Philippines, just where houses, you can just, you're in a path, and oh, I'm in someone's house. I didn't know it's a dirt floor, and it's not really a roof. And then you kind of walk through their house, and you're in the next person's house. There's no separate entrance. You're just piling through just people packed under semi-shelter, dirt floors, crammed together, dirty, filthy areas. I remember being in, 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 in uh, spots where I saw in missions work trips where I saw people living on the sides of government railroad tracks. In, uh, I, mean, I mean, lots of people squatting in these things they build to live in off of the swampy area there because it's free and no one will kick them off because the government owns it and they don't check it. And there's just malaria and nasty situations all over the place. We, we don't see that stuff very often and, and maybe we don't want to, maybe we resist being aware of it. But we are all kind of one percenters. For all the hatred for the one percenters that you have in our, within our country, it's like the one percenters hitting the 1% of the 1% sometimes because globally we're all in the top couple percent. We just are. But we don't always see the extreme poverty because it's not close to us. What we see is people who live in a rich, listen, I'm not going to get into this, but America is still the reserve currency of the world, the United States, the U.S. dollar is. We are still, the, uh, the, the, no matter what you think is happening in the world or going to happen geopolitically, that we are the, the, we're the place to be. In our country, we are all well off. The problem is we can look at other people who are more well off than us 
in a, a very d- developed first world nation. And we look at them, and since they have more than us, we say, well, I'm not rich because they are. Because I don't have as much as my neighbor or as much as my fellow you know, family members. Or I can see things on TV that I can't afford to buy. But we're comparing to a different standard. Because we can have those things, and we, if we don't, we feel like I'm not rich. Whereas we look at parts of the world, and it's easy to be detached to people who are just don't have anything. And we think, well, all you need is food and water and some, some form of shelter, depending on the elements. But if that's good enough for most of the world, then why is that not good enough for me? All I need is some food and water and semi-shelter, depending on the elements. Well, there's a whole lot more I need than that because I live around people where that's acceptable. That's how it is. And so not even the extreme poverty of the world, but even regular places. We have a, uh, some people who uh, we, we watch online who are in other nations, not even the most underdeveloped nations, just kind of the middle of the pack places. I was watching a video the other day of somebody that uh, is engaged with our church somewhat online who uh, watching their services in another country. And their facility is, they're, they're, they're happy in there. They're worshiping God for church. I'm watching their online service. But the truth is, is that not one person in this room or in this town would go to that church if it was in this town because it would be so like, ew. The way it's set up, we'd be like, I would never go into a church that like that. Take care of your, you know, what, what kind of a meeting is this? What kind of a gathering is this? It's so unacceptable. And they're happy praising God because they don't know, they're just happy to be there. We, 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 are, we are just, we live in a standard, a base level where we start to think whether we're poor or rich, but we're all rich. So when I talk about being rich, and Paul says, tell those who are rich in this world, he was writing to Paul, Timothy about Ephesus, but let me be very clear. This is for all of us today. We are the haves. There are the have-nots, but we are the haves. We just look at other haves who have more, and we say, well, I'm a have less than them. But we are all the haves, not the have-nots. And Paul says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud. What does that mean, be proud? Well, not to think that we deserved it, we earned it. Like, I, of course I'm well off. I'm, you know. And we look at people who have nothing in this world, and we think, well, that's not my fault. They shouldn't, they shouldn't have been born poor, I guess. I don't know. You know, like we somehow deserved to, the privilege. By the way, we might not like the word, but we all experience privilege. We just do. And we don't, but we might, we might assume that's our right and even complain to God if we don't have more, as if God's not good to us for not giving us even more. But we are rich. But don't be proud. Don't think we deserve it or we're better than other people. Don't, don't be proud. And he says, teach them not to trust in their money. Why? Because it is so unreliable. And we know this. We all know that on a moment, in a moment, in a, on the turn of a dime, we can lose all of it. Things can go away. Our life can change. And it's such a crazy thing to trust that because we've been blessed, they will always be that way or that we should always expect it to be. We're very insulated from some of the worst problems of the world, but even within our rich society, some of the standards we live by can change so fast if the wrong thing happens this week. And so Paul says, teach those rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Instead, he says, their trust should be in God. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. That God knows how to give us the things we truly do need to be, to survive and to get by and to enjoy. Now, Verse 18 says this, tell them, tell those who are rich in this world, tell them to use their money, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich, there's the words, they should be rich in good works and generous to those in need and always being ready to share 
with others. Use their money to do good. Be rich in good works. Be rich in generosity towards others. Be rich in sharing with others. That we who have should be rich in what we do with what we have. In verse 19, he says, By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. In other words, by doing this, they'll store up their treasure. That's a powerful statement. In fact, in fact, if you read that, you might think that's counterintuitive. You're like, hey, time out, Arlen. Okay, good talk, bro. But um, hey, listen, that doesn't work. If I am being generous and giving my money to those in need and sharing with others and, and, and being generous and all those things you just mentioned in the last verse, I'm not storing up my treasure. I'm giving it away. <laughs> I'm dispersing my treasure. So that doesn't make sense. The way to store it up is not to give it away to other people. It's to, to store it up. But that's because it's counterintuitive because we miss the principles about give and it shall be given unto you. We miss the idea that God blesses generosity and we think it's all for me. In fact, we get a greedy mentality. I always say greed is the, greed is the assumption that it's all for my consumption. It's when I assume everything that comes my way is for me to consume and not for others. But God says, I give what I give to you, not just for you, but to share, to be generous. And when we do that, we're storing up treasure. We're not giving it away, we're storing it up as a good foundation for the future so that, that we may experience true life. And that word future is so important. I believe that being generous comes back to us in this life. There's so many stories that we can see in real life where that has paid off in our lives or other people's lives where you're generous and it comes back around to you. But not just this life, but in, 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 towards God and in heaven, God blesses and God honors and God rewards generosity. And we are storing up treasure when we take what we've been given as the richer of the world and give. So, that's the idea behind be rich. Those are the verses that we use. And it's, it uses the phrase true life. And that's a big idea at the end, true life. Because there's a lot of people who have money, but they don't have true life. Probably everyone in this room knows somebody who has a lot more money than you, but is not doing very well. I do. I can tell my stories all day long, and so can you, about people we know who have, who have more than I do, more than you do. I mean, we can testify their home life is miserable, their family dynamics is bad, they have no joy, they have no peace, they have, no, they have money, but they don't have much, much going. They're not, they're not doing very well here. And when we see those, and when you know people like that, probably if you were to tell your story of someone that you know like that, like I could tell, we tend to think, well, their money didn't make them happy, didn't solve their problems, but if I had their money, I would be better with it than they are, and it would solve my problems, and I would be happy. Of course, never mind the fact that, again, as the global population goes, we're the, one of the top two couple percent of the world's population financially, and yet we're not all happy necessarily either. It was amazing on missions trips when I would go to see people who were coming out of these, these situations of squalor, and they come into the church for a gathering, this little dinky building that was not very nice, but nicer than the way they lived. They'd walk in for church, and they'd be so happy and joyful. I thought, we're not that joyful in America. So we have more, and we're not happy. But if we had a little bit more like the people we know who are richer who aren't happy, well, then we'd be happy, right? It's the fooling of ourselves. But money, and we know this, money has never brought true life. Money has never brought true joy, blessings, peace, anything that only God can bring us. And as we follow him, as, we, as, as he blesses us through his spirit. Now, 
Uh, bottom line is this. Obtaining riches and maintaining riches, well, it can be consuming and it can be exhausting. Some of you know what I'm talking about. If you've ever worked hardest to build your business, you know, handle your affairs, get ahead, investments, whatever it may be, it can be consuming to get rich and it can be exhausting to stay rich. I have a pastor I know well who talks about, he lives in a very affluent area and he's had a lot of meals through his years with people who are not just millionaires but 10 millionaires and beyond, 100 millionaires, people who are richer than I can imagine. And he, says, he, said this, he said this several times. Every time he's with people who are that rich, you know what they want to talk about the whole time? This is, a good, this is a good education for all of us. All they want to talk about is their money and all the threats to it. They're like, he says, it happens every time. They're like, oh, but the government's going to get in my money. They're going to take it all. And the system, we got to worry about it. And, then, and there's scams out there and loopholes. They're trying to get my stuff. Watch out for the bad deals. Try to rip you off and get you in your, you know, you got to guard yourself. And then there's people out there trying to get after you. It's nonstop worrying because getting rich and staying rich it can be consuming and exhausting. And so it's important to understand that, that we can never experience true life by chasing the wrong things. In other words, there's a difference between having riches and being rich, right? There's a difference between having riches and being rich. I can have riches and not be rich. I can be rich and not have riches. I can have both. I can have neither. But there's a difference. And so we're talking about Be Rich. And that's our campaign text. Now, before I get into this year's causes that we're trying to, to fund and do for outside of the walls of our church, I want to share with you a quick, short version of a Bible story. Um, every time I do Be Rich, I try to tell you another, I, I show you those verses from Timothy, and I try to show you another Bible passage elsewhere to go along with it. And there's several that we use. There's a few that we like to use over and over again every few years because they're so good. And this one is one of my favorite examples because it goes along with what we just said. It's the story of a man that Jesus encountered. And the story is told in Matthew and in Mark and in Luke three times. And all three times tell the same story with the different details. He's referred to as a rich man. This person in the story is referred to as a rich young man. And is referred to as a religious leader. So those are all true then, right? That means this person was a rich person, it's fairly young, who has climbed the power of authority. They're a religious leader, perhaps because of their money. It gave them opportunity, and they're a religious leader. I don't know, but they're well off. They're well off. And they have an encounter with Jesus that I want us to look at briefly. And we've done this story before, and I'm not going to do the thorough version because the thorough version of this story is a whole sermon in itself and I've already taken part of our time and I've got to share with you our causes for the year. So the abbreviated version of the story, we'll steal it from the Gospel of Luke this time. Luke chapter number 18, verse 18 says, Once a religious leader, this is a rich young man, a religious leader asked Jesus this question. He said, good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Now, it's very important that I say this, even though I don't want to get stuck in the weeds today because it's not our main point. But here's what I want to say. When you read the next few verses, as we will, it will look like Jesus is teaching a work salvation. But that's not what's happening. That would be inconsistent with Scripture, the Bible is very clear we're not saved by our works. We're saved by grace through faith plus nothing. It's the gift of God. And he's not teaching a different doctrine here. He's talking to a young man who believed that he was a self-made man, 
self-made, rich, powerful religious leader who also wanted to earn his way. He wasn't asking, how can I receive the good news? How can I receive God's grace or God's gift of salvation? He wasn't coming to Jesus as a savior, but as a good teacher. He was saying, what can I do to earn it? What can I do? He wasn't asking the question that you see elsewhere in Scripture, what must I do to be saved? It was, what can I do to earn eternal life? And so Jesus is going to tell him, you got to be perfect. Not because that's how we get to heaven, because no one's perfect, but to try to get this man to the same spot that you and I have to come to in order to be saved, which is to first be lost, to first be understanding that we're, we come short of God's glory, we need a Savior. But this guy doesn't see that, so Jesus is going to say, fine, be perfect. So he says, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answers in verse 19 and says, why do you call me good? Only God is truly good. This is a big statement. In other words, what Jesus is saying to him is, before I answer your question, let's talk about who I am. Because that's the beginning point for the gospel. The gospel begins by us coming to faith in Christ. That he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. That no one comes to the Father except through him. So Jesus says, you want to... um, come to, to salvation, it's through me, but who am I? Are you acknowledging, if, you, if you're acknowledging that I'm God, then we're on the brink of salvation. But that's not what the man was doing. So he says, why do you call me good? Jesus said, only God is truly good. In other words, if I'm good, then I'm God. And if I'm not God, Jesus said, then I'm not good. In other words, if Jesus was not God, he was a, he was a dangerous man. He was a charlatan. He was a deceiver. He claimed to be God. He's either a very bad man or he's God because he claimed to be God. And so he's like, you figure out who I am. Are you saying that I'm God or are you saying I'm something else? And that's the real question for the gospel. But this man's asking, what can I do to earn it? So Jesus tells him, as far as you go, he says, verse 20, but to answer your question, you you know the commandments. Keep them all. He he lists several. He says, you must not commit adultery. You must not steal. I must not murder. You must not steal. You must not bear false, uh, testify falsely and honor your father and your mother. That's five right there of the 10 commandments that we think of the famous top 10 commandments. There's a lot more than 10 in, the, in their scriptures that they had. But these are five of the 10. And what Jesus is saying is, you know them all. I'll list you a few, but you know the whole list. Keep the commandments. And the, and the, the young man replies, verse 21, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Okay. Yeah, right. Okay, I'm, I'm just going to call... I'm just going to call them on this one, okay? Don't you, you ever meet people who say that? All my years of pastoring work, it's always like you meet those people. Oh, yeah, kept them all. Oh, yeah. It always worries me. Someone's like, uh, oh, I've never told a lie. Aha, that's a lie right there. I just caught you in one, you know? Or uh, I'm pretty perfect. Uh, I think you're proud. There's a fault, you know? But I just don't buy it, right? But this guy's going to sell the story. Oh, yeah, kept all. Maybe those commandments, I, I did those five pretty well. Don't talk to my mom and dad too long. Don't ask my siblings about that. And don't see my thought life. But yeah, I've kept all the commandments. In other words, he's going to hold the line that he has done enough to earn salvation on his own. Apart from Jesus and who he was. So when Jesus heard his answer, he said, there is still one thing you haven't done. He's going to set the bar. There's still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions. Give the money to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. Jesus says this. If you want to be your own savior and not me be your savior, then do what I did yourself. 
What did Jesus do? Jesus left it all. He left the splendor of heaven. He laid aside his divine privilege. He came to earth, laid it all aside, took upon the form of a servant, lived a nomadic life, a minimalistic life, traveling around to serve others with nothing, to die in the end for our sins. Jesus like, you want to be like, you want to be your, you want to be the Savior? Here's what you do. Sell all your stuff, give it all to the poor, and do what I did. Come follow me. Join my company. Now, as we're going to see in a moment, the young man won't do it. He won't do it. Because he wasn't perfect. And Jesus just had to get him. And if that alarms you, if you're like, is that what I have to do? This is not teaching the ways of salvation. The Bible is very clear. Salvation is by God's grace through faith plus nothing. But, but, but make this clear. If this was the way, if God came today and said, you really could go to heaven, rolled the scrolls of heaven back and said, eternity is yours and all you got to do is sell all your stuff, live a minimalistic nomadic lifestyle for the rest of your days on earth, and then you get forever. It'd be a good deal. If that was how you got to heaven, that'd be a pretty good deal. For those with a low time preference on your investments, that's a pretty good investment right there. Now, that's not how we get salvation, but that would be a pretty good trade. But we all come short. We're not perfect. We need a Savior. That's why Jesus died. And he's showing this young man that principle. And that's the main point of the story, but I want to lift that phrase that's in yellow on the screen for you today. Because... This is the same statement that Paul referred to. Jesus says to the rich young man, if you'll do that, if you'll follow me that way, you'll have given all your stuff away. But you'll have treasure in heaven. That's what Paul was saying when Paul said, when Paul said, tell those who are rich in this world to be generous and give it away and they'll be laying up treasure for the future. Again, it sounds contrary, but the question is, where do we want our treasure? The question is, what kind of treasure do you value? Do I value the treasure that I have here? Jesus once said, don't lay up treasure on earth where moth and rust corrode and where thieves can break in and steal, but lay up treasure in heaven, which is eternal. Where, what treasure do I value? Is it a car? I've valued some cars way too much in my life. I can tell you right now about my awesome cars I used to own. And if I was with, with the right crowd, we'll all sit back and you know, scratch our big bellies and say, yeah, I once owned it. And you'd be like so impressed. Man, that was cool. You know where it's at today? the junkyard. No one wants it. If, it. if it came back restored today, I wouldn't want it because it's old now. Cars came and go. Houses get old. If you have enough, a lot of money, you can leave it behind for your spouse and their next spouse to spend behind your back one day. If you, um, which is good for you to care for them, um, you can leave it behind. There's no U-Haul behind a hearse, right? I mean, at some point in your lifetime, that awesome outfit you spent a lot of money on and you couldn't afford will be something that you're old and tired of or stained. Everything goes away. So what kind of treasure do we value? Do we have any priority or value in the eternal treasures, in the future, that, and in the joy that, that money and stuff can't buy that comes from being generous and experiencing true life? I know this is true in my own life, that when I have been self-serving, I have always felt like I missing, was missing something. When I got to a spot where I shrunk accidentally without paying attention into a space where it's about me, I'm not happy, but when I've stepped out and said, let me serve others, let me give, man, it's freeing and it's, it's liberating and it's soul reviving. But Jesus told the young man to do that in verse 23. But when the man heard this, he became very sad for he was very rich. In other words, he was rich down here. He had built an empire down here. He was not willing to part from that to, to, to follow Jesus this way. And instead of turning to Jesus in faith, he just walks away. Because he said, I'm not willing to part with all that I have. And that's a sad story. It really is. 
But I want to say this to you, and that is uh, this statement. Don't let your, please hear me, don't let your riches keep you from being rich. Man, that's so important. Americans, I know, there's, I know there's, someone's got more, but listen, don't let our riches and our pursuit of more, the pursuit of a little bit more, until we're like Rockefeller saying, what do you need? Just one more dollar, just one more dollar. Don't let our riches keep us from being rich. We can miss the whole boat by thinking about how we can have more and those who have more versus how much more we have than most and how blessed we already are. And, and, and if we can hold it tight and assume that it's all for us to consume or we can be open-handed, but don't let your riches keep you from being rich. And so back to our original text in Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. In other words, God has richly given, Jesus sacrificed all of it for us, for our good. And God honors that. And by the way, he's, God's honored that now for him. And God will always honor and bless. The, the treasure should be later, not held to, close to our chest now. He says, tell them to use their money to do good. Use their money to do good. Tell them they should be rich in good works, always generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. Verse 19, by doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Now, I just gave you a shortened, for my usual length, shortened message talk about why we do be rich Use the Bible story to kind of back it up and, and then talk a little bit about the, our, our text verse. This is our campaign. And then we take the rest of our time today to talk to you about our, our annual drive. We want to do something for others, and we've done it every year for the last many years through Be Rich, where we want to raise some money collectively to give to others. Now, the assumption to all of this is that, you know, we function off of our regular giving. Let me, let me just say this to you. I didn't say this at the beginning. I meant to, but I, I didn't. Um, there are some of us that we just practice consistent percentage giving all the time. I always, since Michelle and I, before we were married, we individually, as single people, we did this. And that since we've been married, all of our 28 plus years of marriage, we've been doing it as a married couple. We have always lived by a principle that we give a percentage of our income away always. We've always done it. It's a biblical concept that we've, you know, the Old and New Testament, the ideas are there, and we've just followed it. And I've taught people through the years that a great rule of thumb as a, a great baseline approach to your income is to, is to save 10% aside, give 10% away, and live off the rest. And I don't mean that you only have to save that much. I'm saying save at least 10%. There have been times in our life where we didn't save enough, but there's been other times where we saved a lot more than 10% because we knew that was a wise thing to do. Save 10% or more. Give, a, give 10% or more. There's times when we give 10% regularly and there's times when special needs come up and we go above and beyond that number by a ways. But give 10%, save 10% and live off of the rest, 80% or whatever else that is. And, and we've just practiced it. We've taught it to our kids. I hope they'll follow that in life. It's up to them. But we've lived that our whole lives and many of you live that way. And, and we've, we, we've always, since we were teenagers and young adults, and before I was a pastor, when I worked at a trucking company in Illinois, we've always 
you know, supported and given to our local church as well. And we still do that to this day with our income uh, because it's, a, it's our charitable um, place, our, our ministry, our nonprofit ministry that we can use to spread the gospel before our community and harness our collective uh, giving to do more together with synergy than by ourselves. So we've always done that. Our, our, the, the percentage of our giving, the local church, and then our extra giving above our percentage giving that we do sometimes goes elsewhere. And we support missionaries. We support uh, some kids in third world countries. We support uh, several causes, uh, not just monthly, but also seasonally as God opens up doors for us to meet special needs that come our way. Now, I think it's a good idea for everyone to, to, do, to do that, to start saving 10%, give 10%, every paycheck, every paycheck, just give 10% away before you spend it. Save some 10% aside or more, or more, and live off the rest. And here's why. You'll always spend the rest. And this is not my sermon today, but I want to say it before I get into the practical stuff for today. You'll always spend the rest. It's just how it works. Some of you made a lot less money at some point in your past and you somehow got by. And then you made more money and the, the, the needs rose with the money. You just it filled, the, the, filled the void. You made more, you spent more. Is how it works. And then you got laid off at some point. And you had less money coming in, but you found a way to survive. And I promise you, it's just it, nature of whores of vacuum or whatever you want to call it. We always manage to spend all we have and have a need to spend it all. And if you start saving 10% or more, giving 10% or more, which is what I think is a great model. It's up to you what you do. I mean, this is not, I'm just giving you advice. But if you'll do that, you'll find a way to live off the rest and make it work. And if you don't save or give at all, you'll find a way to live off all of it and just get by. That's just how it works. And so you might as well build in good habits in your life because why not? And so we, we've tried to give in our consistent giving, your consistent giving is why we have a church here. We can't do special drives unless we have, you know, regular support. We have, we have needs every week and you can help meet them. And we're thankful for that. We have special needs coming up. We have a light fixture on the outside of our South Pole that we're trying to get fixed and all the electricians who know how to do it have not been reliable or could or have come through. The company we found that can do it is a union company and it's going to be like 4000 bucks to get that one light pole fixed. That's a big kick to our teeth we've got to figure out. Yesterday our roofer came by. We've replaced the entire roof on this church and we found out that this one wing over here, uh, this last wing, we've not replaced it yet. The rest is holding up great. But the last stretch he's not done is leaking and it's about to fly away. We saw the videos on, like yesterday from the, from the storm. We're about to lose this whole section. $12,000 bill coming out of nowhere. We've got to cancel the light job so we can pay for that instead, I guess. We have other issues I won't even get in. I've got a list of four or five big things that don't matter right now. Point is, is we're, we're under the crunch and we've got to figure out how to do it and we could use your expertise or your time or your skills or your money or whatever you can help us do to get those things done. But that's not what we're here to do today. Because regardless of operating costs and special emergencies that we have to figure out somehow, we want to be rich outside of the walls of our church or inside the walls for others, like, like we did with the food pantry last year when we did something that was kind of an internal ministry that had an external, external focus. So this year we have three causes that we want to raise money for for our Be Rich campaign. Three causes. I'm going to share them with you, then we'll go home, and um, hopefully you can help us reach our financial goals. None of this is for Lighthouse. It's all for, well, the first one's a little dual. So as you know, most of you know, our church has the opportunity to host our Hanover Central High School theater production in our facilities this, this year. The reason for that, if you don't know the story, is that the school is under repair. The high school can't use their auditorium for a stage production because part of it, that's what they have to do for the sets. It's all, it's all under construction back there. And they had to go somewhere else. They didn't know what to do. Rather than canceling it, there's a lot of kids in theater, 
they wanted to move to another location. Uh, the theater director, Steve Gustus, comes to our church. Actually, Steve was here. Usually he sits with us in the front row here. He was here first hour earlier today. Pray for him. He had to leave after first service to go to a funeral of a dear friend. He's really grief-stricken right now, so you keep him in your prayers. He's at a funeral right now. But Steve, uh, he's the director of the Thespian Society, and he said, hey, I hear you talk about being for Cedar Lake. Well, would you, would you, would it be part of the mantra to let us come bring the t- community here and put the play on it at the church here? And I'm like, yes, that's exactly what we're trying to do. That's exactly the kind of thing we're constantly trying to do in being for our community. Please bring it here. So the superintendent was on board. Everyone's excited. They're going to bring the production here. December 9th, 10th, and 11th, we're going to have uh, their Christmas. It's a Christmas play. They moved it to December. A Christmas carol and some music, a musical after that. And it's going to be for three days, Sunday, Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday afternoon, and a Sunday evening student-led production also. Four events. People are going to be able to come to our church instead of the school, walk in these doors for the first time perhaps to see that, that the play that the school's hosting, that we're hosting as a gift to the school. Now, that's awesome, and you know that already probably. What you don't know is that we're providing the, the building for free, providing the lights and the, the heat for free. But the, 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 you know, Steve has said, we don't want this play to be a, a burden to the church financially otherwise. But, but we have some needs to make this happen. One of the glaring problems our church has and has always had is we have terrible stage lighting. You may not think about it because we have this ridiculous blue-tinted uh, light coming through here um, that kind of makes it light in the daytime, but you don't think about it. But this is the dimmest lit state, you know. And, and so if you ever do something at nighttime, you don't notice it because we have daytime services. But at Christmas Eve when we have a candlelight service, it's a nightmare because we don't have stage lighting. And, and I usually just let it go throughout the year because it's a lot of money. To do it right, it's a lot of money. But every year about the time we get near Christmas, I'm like, man, I wish we would have had stage lighting, you know. And then we forget about it for 12 months. And then, oh, man, it's Christmas Eve. We, you know, how are we do candlelight services without stage lighting? Every year, it's been going on for a few years. Well, now the community's coming in here for a play, a theater play. You got to have some kind of lighting up here, something. Spotlights, floodlights, something. And we got nothing. So now it's like our emergency has been punted to the point where it's terrible. So, you know, Steve was like, you know, the, the, we can rent this. Don't want, we don't want to be a burden to the church. We can raise the money through our program and rent, you know, rent some, some spotlights or some floodlights for the, for the play. And I'm thinking, no, we don't want to be a burden. See, here's the thing. The theater, if you've been around any schools around here, they usually charge upwards of 12 or more dollars per play. Hanover charges $5 entry because they want people to come. It's the, it's the cheapest play around, so you can come to it multiple times. That's all they, but with that money, they got to pay for the plays that they show. They're showing a Christmas carol this year. They got to pay for the play. Every time they perform it, they got to play for it each time, which means multiple times this year. They have, they have so much overhead. And then they try to use extra money to pay for some of the kids in theater who don't have as much money to have scholarships for college if they have anything they can do for them. And we've helped them in the past. We've done fundraisers. We've, we've brought food over for Sunday afternoon matinee meals that our church has provided for the school to help them raise money for that cause and, and keep the, to bless the department. But now they're coming to our building. We're offering them this, and they're going to pay for stage lighting for us. I'm like, that's not going to work. We want to give to them, not vice versa. So what if we can raise enough money to rent the lights. In fact, not just rent the lights. I mean, it'd be nice if we, for the, every time we could do this in the future, we could actually own a couple spots or floodlights. We can't raise the money in, in today for the right kind of stage lighting we need. It's just way too much money and it would freak you out. But we can at least get some kind of basic floodlighting or stage lighting. 
If we own it, we can have it for any other opportunities that come up, including Christmas Eve. If we can't afford to buy it, we can at least rent it for the school theater play. But it takes money. Can we be for them? On top of that, the kids are going to come here that last week and they're going to put on a dress rehearsals every night the last week before the play. The final night of rehearsal is Thursday night. Thursday night dress rehearsal. Afterwards, their custom is to go out to a restaurant and eat. Each kid pays like 10 bucks a piece and they go out and eat somewhere for pizza or something. And we thought, what if we can tell the kids, save your money, we'll, that night after the rehearsal, before the play the next day, we'll throw on a meal of a lifetime for you. We'll get the food. We'll, get it all, we'll, we'll make it awesome and you don't have to come and pay for anything. We'll take care of it for you. That's another expense, but we can do that, right? So I wanted to ask our church, let's raise the money to provide the lighting, even if it's just a rental. It's all we can afford. Whatever you can help us do. The food, let's take all the expense off of the theater and say, hey, we're doing this for community. We're doing this for you. Keep your ticket prices low. Use, you know, you, you meet your other needs. This is from us. We want to bless them. So our first cause is the Hanover High School Theater. And you can, you can do it by giving, but also by volunteering. They need people to be here. To, Debbie will tell you later during announcements how we can um, volunteer for the food. We need bathroom cleaners. We need parking lot people to, as people arrive from the community to know where to park and where to go in. We need people to just tidy up the building during and after the performances or before the performances. We need lots of help. So serving and giving can help us meet this need in December 9th through 11th. Now, another cause we want to give to is what one we gave to last year, which is Mommy's Haven. We love Mommy's Haven. It's a, it's a ministry in Lowell, Indiana that helps single young mothers who are in need of, um, of uh, just, just, they're alone trying to raise a young child and they kept the baby. And regardless of what your beliefs and are on the issue of, of life, ultimately all of us should, all of us should period care about life both before and after birth. And these are moms who are trying to figure out how to raise these kids and they're on their own. And we want to come along with them and say, hey, we're here. We believe, we believe in supporting those who are helping them get on their feet. So there's a, they have a home there. Moms can live in for a season of time or they can live there and uh, get on their feet. They have uh, facilities where they, they get moms uh, help to get the social security work they need to get done, to get job interviews, to get resumes built, to get them working, supporting themselves, get their kids situated, provide, you know, you know science, child care for moms to go to interviews, uh, trips. They, they, just, they do a whole thing from living quarters to you name it. And we support them a lot. Our food pantry has been known to give um, formula and diapers to them as we've had extra. We gave a check to them last year. We called them, Debbie called them this week and said, what specific needs do you have? And they said, well, a lot of our moms have to, who live in our homes that we were trying to get them on their feet and on their own and independent again, raising a little baby, these young single moms. They said a lot of these moms, they have to get online and do resumes and job meetings and all sorts of stuff and we have no computers. Our the computer went out. We need another computer. We probably need two computers to let moms do the work online that they have to do, but we just don't have the money for it right now. And I'm like, we can buy a couple of computers. We can meet that need. We can, we can raise enough money to, meet, to buy them a, a computer or two and give them extra cash on top of that and say, here, what else do you need? It's all yours. I'd love to help these, these ladies. I'd love to help this, uh, uh, this ministry. And so Mommy's Haven. And then the third cause is called Hope Now. Hope Now is a ministry that is based out of Georgia, but they're actually, half of them live in the Ukraine. It's a ministry to the orphans of Ukraine. And it didn't start this year during the war. They've been there since the Cold War ended and the, and the Soviet bloc fell in the late 80s. 
and they've been doing ministry work, helping kids in that, just that ravaged country in a lot of spots in the cities, building orphanages, funding, staffing them with, with missionaries and with local people there, and they've been helping orphans for decades now. And since the war in Ukraine started, and regardless of your geopolitical views and politics, we hopefully all agree we're praying for the people who are being devastated in war-torn areas, I hope. And um, in the Ukraine, there are a lot of, there's a lot of extra need. A lot of people are displaced, killed, hurt. Uh, kids have been displaced. And so since this year has started, they've stepped up their game a lot even more. They've been bringing in lots of medical supplies by the droves, food supplies into the most war uh, ravaged areas of the country and helping out and supporting us. Any, anybody who needs help, but especially those who are in or, their, their orphanages that they have and those that they, they support there. It's a wonderful ministry. Go to their website, by the way. Read it for yourself. I love it. And all of these ministries we just mentioned are all helping kids. The orphans in Ukraine, the, um, especially during this time of war, the, um, the kids and their young moms at Mommy's Haven, and the students in our theater program. We wanted to make it a theme this year. Now, I want to bless all three of these organizations through our generosity. So you can say, okay, Arlen, stop talking. I, I get it, I get it. Let's just, what's the bottom line? How much money do we need to raise? I'm not gonna give you a dollar amount. I'm gonna give you a different goal. We want to raise, we, here's what our goal. We want 100% participation. I'm telling you, this, it's easy to do these things where we, we, we have a goal and a few people step to the plate and half of the crowd sits back and says, eh, I don't know. And that's not our goal. Our goal is to do this as a community, to do this as a church. So we want 100% participation. And we know some could give more than others, but what, what if we all did what we could, whatever that looks like? If we had 100% participation, it'd make a difference. And because of that, we ask for a certain base number of dollars from every person. And here's the good news. We've asked for the same amount for the last many years as a base number. And our, 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 our request has never raised in price, even with inflation. It's inflation-proof. We're still asking for everyone to consider giving a gift of $39.95 per person. And... That was last year's number two, despite 18,000% inflation this year. We're still asking for the 39.95. It's the same number. Why? Because we, we want everyone to be able to participate. Because as Debbie preached a couple weeks ago when she was preaching, um, you can lay aside, you can sacrifice for a month or two. You can cut out some luxuries from your life. You can find a way to raise 40 bucks, right? And so that's doable for almost all of us. And some of us could do a whole lot more. Now, so 39.95 could be per family if that's what the best you could do. That's awesome, thank you. Michelle and I have always considered that we both are individuals, so that's $39.95 each. And we even think that our, our household has more people than just us too, so we can do $39.95 per person in our house. My point is, is that as a starting point, that's how we look at our, a starting point. But what can you do? Can you, can you make that number as a family or as an individual? If everyone raised that money, found a way to make it work this month, and some people who could do more did a lot more, we could reach our goal and blow it away. Now, here's the thing. For some of you, you could add a zero to that number and it wouldn't even hurt you that bad. And when I say add a zero, I don't mean 39.950, you math nerds, okay? That's not what I mean, okay? But some of you could add a zero to that thing right there. 40 could turn into 400 and, and you could do it. If, if some of us would step up to the plate and say, I'll do this, 100% participation, and some of us said, I'm gonna go above and beyond. I'm gonna give a lot more than that. We can bless these three organizations, these three opportunities completely this November. 
Every penny that comes in to be rich goes to be rich. There's no administrative fees. There's no handling costs on our end. It all comes through you and goes out to them. And we're asking all of us to participate. Here's how you can do it. Um, there's, if you give in person, there's the giving boxes in the back. Thank you for that. There's giving envelopes. You can write on the envelope, this is for Be Rich. And everything that comes for Be Rich goes to Be Rich. If you're online, watching online or in person and you give digitally, you can go to our website. It's a Be Rich and a Be Rich, uh, our Be Rich campaign. There's a, uh, if, you, if you were to look it up on our website, you'll find a Be Rich tab. And you can follow the tab and whatever's given through that all goes to the Be Rich campaign. Now, do we have our own needs? Yes. Listen, please. Those who give regularly, I believe with all my heart, regular giving out, out gives seasonal giving. People who give a consistent, regular basis, like I talk about percentage giving that we practice, percentage givers always give more than the person who occasionally gives a special amount. It's just how it works. And a bunch of you, your regular giving keeps us going. Thank you. We have huge needs here. New ones that came up this week that I just mentioned earlier. Thank you for giving. But here's the deal. This is above and beyond. So please, if you're a regular giver, I'm asking you, don't divert your giving away from your regular giving to be rich. Don't rob Peter to pay Paul. We don't want to use our NIPSCO money to pay for this campaign, obviously, right? This is, if you give regularly and you're willing to give above and beyond what you normally give, that's what we're asking you to do. If you don't normally give at all, you're not, that's not something you've done, this is a great first step into giving. Maybe you can start this, your first set of, of, of active giving by giving to be rich. And then after that, ask God to lead you into what's next. But whether you're starting or giving above and beyond your normal, can we make this thing rock? And I say, when do we want to raise it by Arlen? Today. You know, we want to raise it in November because we want to get all of it done in November so that we can have Mommy's Haven with our computers and their cash extra money before the holidays so that we can give the money to the work in Ukraine before the holidays, so that we can, before Christmas, so that we can um, bless our theater program before they host their play here in early December. We want to do all of this this month. So if you can find a way to help us, you can go online right now, as I'm speaking, after church today, but do it this month, please, and let's rock this thing. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm done. I need to wrap this thing. I need to land this plane. It's always weird to give a, preach a giving message to a certain cause. The good news is it's easy when it's not for us. It's weird when it's for us specifically, but when it's for things we want to do for the community and for the world, I don't mind saying I'm participating. I'm asking you to join me. But how do you land the plane and go home? It's kind of awkward. So I'll end it this way. Here's my, here's my ending. Ready? Since the Christmas play at the school is on, um, what's it called? Um, a Christmas carol. Here's my, here's my thought for you before we go. Ready? Don't be a Scrooge. Okay, that was my only advice right there. Um, but let's make this happen. And for those of us who can do it, let's be rich not only as individuals, but let's be rich at Lighthouse Church in our community.